Welcome to Policy Matters. We are Matt Dixon and Franz Buscher, and today we're going to be talking about the role of vocational education in modern Britain. We're joined today by Professor Sandra McNally, who's a Professor of Economics from the University of Surrey, and also the Director of the Centre for Vocational Education at the LSE. Welcome, Sandra. Thank you. You're somebody who has a lot of experience with educational research. You're currently leading a centre looking at vocational education in particular. Can you explain to us what is vocational education? I even having done research myself, I'm still not 100% sure exactly what it is. I was looking at some recent government statistics which showed that in Q1 this year over a million certificates were handed out and I looked at what these certificates were and it's very difficult to make sense of this. Well, Let's start thinking about people when they leave school after their GCSEs, after age 16. Some people stay on in the same school and do A-levels, but lots of people go and they do something else. So if we think of A-levels as academic post-16 education and other things being non-academic post-16 education, the non-academic post-16 education counts as vocational education. And by the way, that's about half of every single cohort going through school will be in that system somewhere. We'd also think about adults. So lots and lots of adults do some form of publicly funded training. Sometimes it's privately funded training and they often go to further education colleges or independent learning providers. And all of that counts. A lot of that would count. A lot of that would count as um, as vocational education. So uh, what, what doesn't count, I suppose, would be university level education, which is a bit strange, really, because lots of things you do in university are actually vocational. Yeah. If you want to be a dentist, it's a degree, but obviously that's a vocational qualification. So um, it is a little bit confusing, yes. So um, on top of that, there's all the remedial education that gets done, all the English as a second language, um, all the adult education um, that gets done that would be in the broad sort of box of vocational education. So that seems like quite a wide range of educational skills that are being learned. Uh, I mean, if if you're saying A-levels and degrees are not it and everything else is it, that leaves a vast amount. <laughs> That's true. That's to put it very, very crudely. Yeah, yes. I yes. see. So this narrative goes back a long time, but uh, really you just have to sort of open any random newspaper in any random week and you'll see some sort of discussion about you know, the failure to train, the failure of apprenticeships, how vocational education doesn't work in this country, how it's always compared to these kind of gold standard countries of Germany, France, Switzerland. What's your opinion on this? What's, what's your sort of historical take on how vocational education has sort of developed in this country? It has changed a lot over time. Apprenticeships were much more common in the 1970s, for example, than they are now, although the numbers have picked up a lot. But if you look at countries like Germany, Switzerland, Austria, they have seem to have a very carefully structured education system. The framework is national and you can kind of see how people navigate themselves through it. And if you do vocational education after school, you can still go on to some form of higher education, for example. In England, we don't have as, as a clearer structure, an overall national structure. We have thousands of qualifications that people can do at age 16 to 18, thousands of qualifications. We have 150 awarding bodies. A lot of the qualifications people do at 16 to 18 in practice are concentrated in a few. Pearson being a very big player within that field as a city and guilds. But strangely, they are, you know, private companies, actually, who are doing this, yeah. uh, some of these um, qualifications. And in other countries, that wouldn't quite be 
the case. So that already means there's a difference between A-levels, which only have a few awarding bodies and is a national qualification, and all these other qualifications, of which there are many, and they're called sometimes quite similar things. And if you're a 16-year-old leaving school, it's not terribly clear what path am I going to take that's going to lead me on to something really good later. Sometimes that's actually really hard to know. And what about, just thinking from the employer side, do they know what these qualifications are? I mean, if you're an employer and someone pitches up with their CV and they've got, a, I don't know, I guess City and Guild level one in some vocational skill, I mean, do, do employers know what these mean? I'm guessing that employers probably do understand some of the big names like City and Guilds and Pearson mm. and would have some knowledge of, of some kinds of qualifications. So um, I think even when you look at, say, the uh, Wolf Report, people say there are some really good quality vocational education in England. We shouldn't knock knock it. But it's not systematic enough across the whole country. And there, there is this problem of people, teachers, students, parents, employers, not always knowing what they're getting. So this was the Wolf Report. Alison Wolf from King's College who was looking at the whole system like, yes. a few years ago. Yes. And have the recommendations from that? Are we seeing some changes? Or, I mean, it feels like the whole system plays second fiddle to higher education. We hear a lot about fees for HE and, and, and the whole university system and whether we should change to shorter degrees and all these kind of things. Is it the case that actually the non-HE route, the vocational route, has just been neglected for years and, and we do look into it, but even when we get reports, does anything actually change? I find it amazing working in this area how little real proper attention in, say, national newspapers, national television that is given to this area. You know, you get some little tweak in GCSEs and that, or, or A-levels and that, you know, causes a headline on the BBC website. Mm. But you can have big changes coming in vocational education, big funding cuts, and it doesn't even get reported on quite often. And I find that extremely depressing because this is something that affects most people. Even people who go through higher education or will need to maybe retrain in the future when technology changes, the labour market changes. So it's really important what kind of vocational education that we have and for opportunities for adult training um, in the future. We really need to pay more attention to this. It's also a bit depressing that higher education is extremely well funded. Schools are protected uh, relatively, although there's big problems there too. But the sector that really gets cut a lot is the further education a post-16 vocational education, adult education, and the funding gets cut and cut and cut there. As you say, it's not just the 50% of people that go through that system at age kind of 16 to 18, the kind of the non-HE route, but lots of people throughout their lives. So what can we do? I mean, what can we do to kind of change that, to kind of raise the profile? Is there anything we can do as academics, as researchers? I think that's part of the reason that our centre has been set up. I should say a little bit more. We are a centre that's been set up by the Department for Education for a five-year period, 2015 to 2020, to try to shine a light on some of these issues, to use the excellent data that they actually have within the Department for Education and really do some even basic descriptive exercises so that people become better informed, at least we know, what we're talking about and we can give you numbers on you know how many people we're talking about in different areas now which mm -hmm. is great 
But then we also need to do more serious research, all of us um, in this area. I, I think this isn't only an issue within England, I think within other countries too. It, some people who specialise in economics of education give a lot of time to schools and to universities, but maybe because it's harder to, to research sometimes. Sometimes the data isn't, isn't good enough or the systems between different countries are very different. Maybe we don't give enough attention to really serious work in sort of non-academic post-16 education. I think it's very interesting what you say there about, you know, simply producing the evidence and getting some of these numbers out into the public. I had a look at some of the research that your centre is producing and also just correlating this a little bit with sort of some articles I read recently in the Financial Times. It seems to me that the returns to vocational education, you know, the, the money that you're basically going to get by going down this pathway is not that bad. Uh, I, I read something that uh, employees, manufacturing employees, have real trouble hiring skilled individuals such as uh, welders, uh, crane drivers, etc., etc., etc. These are well-paid jobs. I'm thinking of uh, other occupations, uh, train drivers specifically, you know, always in the news, you know, they're making £80,000 now. It's a lot of money. Looking at your reports and the evidence that's been produced suggests that, yes, there are indeed significant returns to vocational degrees. Is this just not known? Is this something that needs to be pushed out more like we see for higher education where we start seeing this, you know, much more information being leaked about the returns into to the students? Yes, I mean, we, we have produced, and I know you have, France produced quite a lot of work about returns to different vocational qualifications. Um, it is less widely known, is less widely discussed. It doesn't get top headlines as in anything on higher education does. And there's much less um, out there about vocational education. But people are beginning to do the work um, thanks to this excellent um, data that the DfE um, provide to researchers to do that. I think as in higher education, the returns to vocational education pathways really are depend on the pathway that you're, you're going down. I mean, if you look, for example, at apprenticeships, people who have an advanced apprenticeship in engineering earn a lot. Um, and they, in fact, in their late 20s, they actually earn more than people with an engineering degree. Now, of course, that might change later, but it's very interesting that at that point in the life cycle, they're earning more. That's um, exactly that's exactly what the CEO of ThyssenKrupp recently said, that apprenticeships that they train after five years, we'll be making significantly more than engineers with master's degrees, whilst not being saddled with the student fee, uh, with the tuition fee debt. So, you know, there's huge returns early in life, very early, uh, to these kind of qualifications. Yes, there, there are. I mean, one caution I would put in is that when thinking about the whole life cycle, yeah. um, it might be, for example, that in the earlier years, vocational education gives a bigger earnings jump but, but it might be that later in life that that changes and there have been some international research suggesting that that's the case that there's maybe a trade-off so and I think the message from that research is then well, we need to think about how much general education is within vocational education so we need to make the package of vocational education rich enough and deep enough such that people have a range of different skills so that if automation comes, for example, I mean, um, there are robots that do welding, for example, and if people lose their jobs because of that, then they can more easily change occupation because there has been research to show by my colleagues in Guy Michael's analysis, for example, looking at when there is occupational change that's technology-induced, 
the people who are okay are the people who can switch occupations. The people who are not okay are the people who who can switch occupations. And who are the people who who can switch? That the people who have good skills that are transferable across occupations. So I think within every vocational route, there has to be consideration of that. What are the skills that people are really being trained to have? And will they be of use beyond a particular occupation? I think that's a really uh, interesting point. And part of the this comparison we often have with France and Germany and uh, the system of education that they have there and apprenticeships and things. But as you say, one thing that our economy seems to prize, and particularly with changing technology, is that general education. We've always had this high premium on general education. And the problem being that if you're a young person, you think, well, if I go down the vocational route, if I get training that's too specific to a particular industry or a particular occupation, then I'm less marketable if technology changes or if I lose my job, I've got less kind of transferable skills. And for firms as well, I guess they're thinking, well, if we train people and we do increase the kind of general skill element of of any vocational training, they might be worried, well, hold on, if I give general skills and these people can then go and switch and, and move somewhere else and then me as a company, we have not received the benefit of training these young people Whereas if we give them kind of firm specific skills, they're incentivized to stay with us. I just wondered what you think about the degree apprenticeship route to try and kind of marry those two things up by giving young people specific training in a firm. So the firm's happy because it's getting skills and training. And then there's a kind of generalized skill taught through the degree element that allows young people to know that, well, I've got a degree qualification. And so if things change and I need to move to a different industry, I've got some general skills that are more broadly transferable. What I mean, what do you think about the degree apprenticeships? I think the degree apprenticeships are a great initiative. At the moment, there aren't that many of them, mm. so uh, we can't we can't really say what the returns are to people. But in principle, the idea sounds great. Now, what's really important is that the transition routes to those degree apprenticeships are are good and, and mm. like, that they could come from other areas of vocational education. For example, if all the people who are doing A-levels just do degree apprenticeships, I, I don't think that would be um, optimal because that's just providing an additional route for people who mainly go to university. I, I'm interested in the 50% of people who don't do A-levels and I think it's really important that those people are the people who transition through the different pathways and get the degree apprenticeships. So we have to to pay attention to that as well. Also, I think, although there's a lot of focus and discussion about apprenticeships in this country, and that's a good thing, we shouldn't think about apprenticeships as the only or always the most appropriate route to skills and training post-16. There are other ways too, particularly for adults. I'd like to ask you a little bit about the research your centre is doing. So your centre's been up and running for three years now. You've yes. got another two years left. What are, what are some of the most significant findings you've found so far? Well, let me just say we're doing a, a lot of projects across many different areas. You know, we may be running about 15 projects at a time, for example. If I'm to classify the sorts of things that we're doing, there's one strand of work that's about returns to vocational qualifications, returns to apprenticeships that we've been discussing. There's another section of work that's about what works to improve quality of people's learning. Uh, For example, does capital expenditure matter? What about university technical colleges? Are they effective? What about college principals? 
are college principles, are the characteristics of college principles important? And we will be looking at things like management practices and further education colleges, to what extent are they important? And then we have another section of research that's about what influences individual choices. So how important is it to get a grade C in GCSE, for example? How important are your peers? What about careers information and guidance? So we have another section of research on, on those things. It's difficult for me to summarise all this work. And, and also, some of the work is not yet in the public domain because we haven't finished it. Because, as you know, academic work takes a long time, yes. <laughs> both in terms of organising the data and also really getting rigorous research design such that you're really able to say things about cause and effect. But one of the things that we've put out is a summary of findings on our work on apprenticeships to date. And that's, we find a full list of of publications on our website, but a very recent one, the most recent one, is just a summary of our findings of apprenticeships. What do we learn about apprenticeships? So some of the things we found about that, first of all, we've documented where the increase in apprenticeship has come from. A lot of people might not know that, in fact, half of apprenticeships are over age 25 in Britain, which is must be the only country in the world that that's the case. In most other countries, apprenticeships are for young people, but here half of them so aren't. So it's almost like adult um, training. Then, uh, so well, so it's, it, it's, it's yeah. strange. We have looked at comparisons, some comparisons with other countries, well, particularly based on Hil- Hilary Steepman's earlier work, yeah. showing that, in fact, what constitutes apprenticeship here in England is different from other countries. In fact, there's much less off-the-job training, much less hours in apprenticeships and a much lower duration in England compared to other countries. Um, we've looked at things like... Um, so what does that mean exactly? Well, the number of hours, the number of dur- duration, a lot of the um, duration of apprenticeships would be a year in England, but in other countries they might be three. There's differences in what actually goes into the actual training here that um, and in other countries that's important too. Is that related to mind. the funding situation of these apprenticeships or is that just... Do you have any idea why it might be so short? I think it's still the case that a lot of apprenticeships are what we call level two apprenticeships and they are shorter term. So that's uh, the equivalent to like GCSE kind that, of that's level? The, that's the, well, yes, in the kind of approximately. approximately. Yeah. So they are a, lot, a lot of our apprenticeships have been level two apprenticeships. Now, clearly, if you go to a level three apprenticeship in engineering, that will be more similar to the engineering apprenticeship in Germany. So it kind of depends what apprenticeship that you're talking about. But it's just interesting to, to think that well, we're not always comparing like with like, even if we we're saying we're talking about apprenticeships, we're not always talking about the same thing if we make cross-country comparisons. And if we just look at the number of apprenticeship starts also, it's important to think, well, it's not just the number of starts that matters. It matters, well, what kind of starts are, are the start? Is it just lots of level two apprenticeships for adults? Or is it higher level apprenticeships for young people? So we really need to think about not just how many apprentices we have, but what are the kinds of apprenticeships that we have as well. Just go- going back to one uh, other bit of research you mentioned from the centre, looking at, OK, what's the impact of certain qualifications and just kind of just getting so that C at maths as opposed to not quite getting the C. And I think you've got some research that showed that impact is really important to get over that line of getting for, the... For English GCSE, for yes. English. Okay. So what we did was we looked at people who were just 
got a great C at GCSE English compared to people who missed it, just marginally missed it. And we looked at those people and followed them over about three years to see what happened to them. And we found that the just marginally failing to get a C had big consequences for you in that you're less likely, much less likely to start any level three qualification, that is a level or vocational equivalent. You are more likely to drop out of education altogether. So all of those has has quite negative effects for your long term prospects in the labour market. And that, I think, partly reflects, well, we don't provide good enough ladders for people mm. who just don't go. They, they, they miss a GCSE. Chances. Yeah, they, they, they miss getting the grade C at GCSE. They end up in an FE college. They don't really know what to do. Um, and some of them just never get back on track which is terribly sad and it's it's not that's not how it should be but it's interesting that it affects things it's uh, that kind of margin that age 16 attainment if you don't quite make it that affects it's not just that you're not going to go down the kind of academic route but even within the kind of fe route just missing out on getting the english gcse then has these kind of negative consequences because a lot of what we've talked about today and in previous thinking about HE, so much of what happens post-16 is determined by what's gone on in the kind of, uh, you know, the five years of, of secondary schooling and then the primary schooling before that. So I think I'm always uh, very aware that all this work that we do, looking at higher education, looking at vocational and further education, so much goes on beforehand and that actually maybe it's that kind of link up with the schools that's going to be important going forward to try and you know, we need to take things back a, a level and to, to kind of improve things earlier on to give people access to the sorts of higher education, but also the vocational education courses that you're talking about that do have strong returns and long-term positive outcomes in the labour market. So, I mean, for sure, we need to get things to a level where people are better at maths and English at age 16, and then there would be fewer of those sorts of problems. However, if you look at the marks for maths and English, it is a normal distribution. It means that it isn't actually possible for everybody to get a grade C. Just at the way it's done at the moment, you can't all get a grade C. Sure. So <laughs> there will be people who don't. And it is important that for those people who don't, who just miss that, that, you know, it is not the end of the world. You can do useful things. You can still get a good education. If you're that marginal, like the people we considered in our paper, you really ought to be able to get it and get back on track. We shouldn't really see a jump at that threshold in the way that we do. Sandra, let me ask you this question. Do you think current government takes this issue seriously? Perhaps more personally, do you feel like you and your centre are being taken? Are, are you being listened to? Are you able to influence things? Well, we like we like to try I mean, of being a you know an informed voice to inform policymakers. My impression is that people are taking it seriously. There are lots of serious consultations out there, and we have been asked to contribute and do some research to inform those consultations. So, um, I think there are people. I I don't doubt that people are very well intentioned actually about trying to improve things. But does it push through? Yes, it goes to the policymakers. But does it push through to the politicians? Do you think it reaches the top? Well, I, I do think so, because you do hear about the, even the Secretary of State did talk about technical education, did talk about T-levels. Hmm. So I, I do think it's getting through to the top. But on the other hand, I would like to see some of the money follow through those words, because I don't no. think it's fair that when you hear about cuts, that the place that gets cut the most is the 16 to 18 budget. 
and the adult budget and skills. So I, I, I would think that the aspirations, what politicians have to say, would be more credible if it's backed up by the actual financial decisions that they're also making. What do you kind of hold out? Do you hold out hope for this, uh, the government's post-18 review? What would you, you know, if it was down to Sandra McNally to decide, okay, what's the what's the future of the system? Is that something that you would implement, some kind of funding reform so that the money for post-16 or post-18 that isn't HE is given more money towards that 50% of people? I think it's really difficult, actually, what they have to do, so I'm very glad. It's not up to Sandra <laughs> McNally, um, but um, I would like to see um, something that's more coherent framework between the different kinds of education that people do post-18. And I don't think you can really separate that uh, from the 16 to 18 either, from the, the what's the relative preparation. But what I would really like to see happen is a better sense of what options are broadly outside university degree level but other kinds of high level level four level five sub degree qualifications that that one can get i'd like to see uh, a framework for those things and i'd like to see a sense of how people can transition from those things so that you know if i'm a young person and i'm age 16 i have some sense of what my future might hold if i go down a particular pathway so one other question that I have, I guess, as an academic is, and I don't want to sort of steal any of your ideas here, <laughs> but just sort of in general, where do you think uh, is what, what do you think is the direction for future research in this area? I mean, your centre is obviously leading this in the UK. Where are you guys heading next? Well, uh, there are lots of questions that we would like to ask. Um, what are the things that I'm interested in? Um, I'm interested in knowing more about the relative return to vocational versus academic research for people in that sort of middle ground where they really could do either. So there's some people and they're definitely set for university, uh, both just their whole academic trajectory up to that point suggests that's where they're going. Mm. And there are other people who are definitely vocational um, in terms of where they are at age 16 or yeah. so. But there's, there's people in the middle. Um, so there's this, this discussion about, well, not all of the universities you go to or the subjects that you do will necessarily give you high returns. The same is true for vocational education as well. But I'm interested in knowing a little bit more about what are the right things for those people in the middle to do and what are the good ways of doing careers information and guidance as well. How do you really do that? How do you make that more effective? Um, so I think there's lots of role for research there. I'm interested in knowing how you really improve the kinds of education, quality of education and training that people receive. For example, management practices have been looked at before in firms in health and schools. We would like to look at that in further education colleges too and then see, well, are there things that leadership should do um, or further education colleges should do that would actually try to, could really improve how students in there perform. Um, okay, do, you, do you have any examples of that? Just out of curiosity? Well, how they how they what maybe what they actually do within the classroom I mean do their use of um, technology for example okay. um, or things like how do they do pay and performance for staff or those yeah. sorts of personnel practices yeah so a range of those sorts of issues and, and then on the of course about the apprenticeship levy and this is something that we're also going to, to be working on I'm sure others will too it's all very well to have more apprenticeships hopefully we will see there be more apprenticeships as a result of these initiatives eventually although there's been a decline right now mm. but the question is really the more important question as well 
is this really adding value? You know, is this um, is this something that's adding value to productivity, or is it the case that firms are substituting apprenticeships for other forms of training that they would do anyway? So we're interested in that question too. Sounds like there's uh, plenty of things to be uh, getting on with for the next uh, next few years at least. Thanks, Sandra. That's been really uh, interesting discussion. Thanks very much for joining us today. I'm Matt Dixon, and I'm Franz Buscher, and you've been listening to Policy Matters. We'll be back with more soon.